I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday. As promised via article form and on Monday's podcast, I've recorded a live mailbag on the Locker Room app. I'm enjoying doing these. I'm probably going to be doing them again uh, every Monday for the foreseeable future and then releasing them as a podcast. It's a great way to interact with everybody. And it also means that I get to know a bit more about the audience and the content they're looking for. Anyways, without going into that too much, here's this this week's recording. Um, There's going to be, I think there's about an hour or just shy of an hour worth of discussion. We go through a bunch of different topics, trades, players, whether or not the Celtics are contenders. Hopefully you enjoy it, and if you do, hopefully I'll see you in locker room next Monday when the next mailbag takes place. I want to talk about what's it going to take for Rob Williams to get some starter minutes, because I think he's totally earned them. And I could be in the minority, I know, but I just love what I'm seeing from this young kid. So my biggest um, takeaway from this and from like... I'm, I was working on a, I'm working on a Rob Williams piece at the moment, so I've been watching a lot of the um, the Brad Stevens interviews through the season, like after Rob's good games, after Rob's less so good games where he was missing. And one of the key narratives that Brad kind of breaks down is that he really doesn't see the appeal with who starts and who finishes a game. It's You can come off the bench and play more minutes than a guy that starts. Okay. Um, so I like that. And then obviously for me, it's like, if you bring Rob Williams into the starting lineup, you're removing a bunch of energy that you inject into that second unit when you bring him on off the bench. So you're going to start with a bit more energy, but then once he goes to the bench and you're bringing on a Christian Thompson or a Daniel Tice, if you're tra- chasing a game, where's yeah. that energy going to come from? That's uh, my biggest concern. So I think that at the moment, his skill set's definitely at a level to be starting games whether or not he'd be as viable of an outlet against starting level bigs is a question that needs answering in my opinion but yeah, that's a good there's, defi- there's definitely um a restriction there in the amount of energy that you're then bringing off the bench and i know that at the moment there's a good um relationship being built between peyton pritchard and robert williams them two yep. are forming into a, a slight bench duo so I'm not sure if his value, even though he's good enough to play as a starting big, I'm not sure if his value is actually better served off the bench for this year. You know, that's a good thought. I never thought of it that way because I kind of feel that way about Marcus. I always love seeing him in the starting lineup, but at the same rate, I like seeing him coming off the bench, though, to provide that energy and toughness and, and all that. So that's kind of a good thought. It gives me something to chew on. <laughs> well, I'm glad, that you are, I'm glad that you're happy with the response. <laughs> Saves me getting chewed out, so that's always good. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thanks for jumping up, Angie, and feel Thank free you. to stay in the comments and stay in the uh, in the crowd area. Absolutely, will do. Thank you. What's up, Marcus? Hey, Adam. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm living. I'm living. How about yourself? I'm doing good, man. Thanks. Um, uh, just to touch on Robert Williams, real quick, in addition to something else, but I think something. Uh, that's also holding him back is he kind of seems like he has like a pseudo minutes restriction with his lingering hip in- injury. So that could also be a factor is why he's 
not getting the same amount as maybe like a Tice or Thompson. Um, so we'll see how that goes as the season moves along. But I agree. I think he provides really good energy off the bench. You shouldn't really mess with that right now. So, um, and then additionally, um, I wanted to, I know a lot of these Celtics conversations really revolve around, um, who are we going to trade for? Who are we going to add? Um, I think Nikola Vucevic is probably unlikely because of the amount of assets or lack thereof of assets that we even have to trade for him. Um, but Aaron Gordon, um, I, I don't see how it would take that much to get him. Um, he's having one of the worst seasons of his careers. Um, if you look statistically, um, his shooting percentage is down. Um, his points per game is down. Um, and he's on the last year of his contract. Um, and there doesn't really seem, from the reports that I've seen, there doesn't really seem to be um, momentum or interest in really bringing him back to Orlando. Um, so I, I, I just, I think he, he has a lot of untapped potential. I think he's a lot better than what he's shown over the last couple of years. Um, what, what are your thoughts on what it would take to bring Aaron Gordon in terms of, um, who, who the Celtics could trade and what, 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 what it would make, what would it work? I mean, first of all, I agree. I think, um, Aaron Gordon's been miscast in his, um, role for the last few years. I definitely don't see him as a first or second option on offense. And I think he could thrive as like a fourth option on offense where there's not as much onus on him creating his own shot. There's not as much um, onus on him being a focal point and being asked to be a high level play finisher. I think if he was asked to play within the flow of the offense more, take his opportunities when they come to him, but no need to force them and no need to try and carve out his own offense and looks, then I think he could thrive. I think he'd inject a bunch more athleticism, which would allow the Celtics to up their pace a little bit, especially with him at the four. You kind of get to move away from that two big lineup, so you get to really start injecting fast break opportunities. And there's going to be more backdoor cuts, more lob threats available. So I think he's actually a really good option with the TPE. In terms of trades, I'm not too sure. I think that if Orlando decide to... Um, pull the trigger on this one, they're going to want some young pieces, right? So Langford or Neesmith are going to have to be part of the deal. They're not going to be interested in Tristan Thompson, I don't think, because they've already got, like, Jonathan Isaac when he's back from injury. They've got, um, I think, Mobamba's still on the books. Vucevic is on the books. So that takes that contract away. I doubt that the Celtics will be willing to leave up, move on from Marcus Smart for a guy like Aaron Gordon, just because although recasting him in a role that suits him better is pretty much a surefire way to get better production. It's just not good. He's just not the level of player that I think warrants moving on from Marcus Smart. So I think it would be a package based around one or two young guys with high upside and then filler salaries. So whether that be, um, you know, um, I think that you'd try and move Carson Edwards in any deal as part of a filler salary. Um, good right. thing is with the TPE, you don't need to match salary to bring a guy in. But obviously, you need to put a package together. So I'm assuming it would be a couple of picks, some high upside young guys, and then one or two guys that they'd like to take a flyer run that they think they could get some form of production out of. 
Right. Yeah. I guess that also begs the question is, is he really worth using the TPE on? Um, if he's a, a caliber of a player that you really aim to, to get back. And I think just based on the flashes you've seen from him in his first couple years, um, I think he could really be a better player than what he is, what he's been, especially this year and not being the focal, the focal point like he is really in Orlando or one of the focal points. I think that could also free him up some more. Um, and, um, in even last year, um, all this talk about trading for Clint Capella, Gordon is a different kind of player, obviously, but he brings that rim running, um, presence like Capella does, um, in terms of his athleticism. Um, so if, if they could swing that somehow, I think that would, if they, my first preference is Harrison Barnes, but. Um, the price might be too steep for him as well. So um, I, I think Aaron Gordon could be a, a good value um, trade. Um, but I guess we'll we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I mean, his age fits the timeline a bit better. Um, I do think that if you put him in a position where he's just more of a use, shoot, and attack within the flow of the offense, I think you're going to see a much better version of him than compared to what you're seeing right now. And I also think the Celtics just need more athleticism. They've got a couple of guys that are like crazy athletic, but across the board, I do feel like that's an aspect of the team um, construction that's quite poor. Is There's not enough guys that can play above the rim. There's not enough guys that can offer you vertical spacing. And then, as you say, you've got Gordon can rim run because of that athleticism, but he could also start to really work on honing his three-point shooting because he's not got going to be tasked with scoring 20 to 30 a night. It will be more play a complementary role behind JT and JB, um, help stretch the floor out so Kemba doesn't have to struggle as much to break down defenses when driving the lane, and then just be ready to hit your knockdown shots when the ball finds its way to you. you know, I think he could be a really good option, and he's one of the more realistic options, in my opinion, too. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think that the... Cutting back on some of his shot attempts would give him an opportunity to be more efficient. If, and, and, and with the Celtics, obviously, he would he would be taking less shots. Um, but uh, that's all I got. Appreciate you uh, bringing me up. Of course, man. Thank you for jumping up. I hope you're all good. Yeah, you too. Hey, Pat, how's it going? Adam, what's up, dude? How you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Yourself? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I'm uh, I'm I'm nervous here. I'm nervous that we're going to get a typical. Celtics trade deadline, which is that they're going to be in on everything, supposedly, and they're going to make no moves. And, you know, uh, we're getting to the point, I think at least we're getting to the point now with the Jays where, you know, you have these two guys and obviously great players. We know, like we know they're great players, but at a certain point, you have to try to build around these guys to keep them here, to, to tell them that, you know, we're going to realistically try to compete for a championship with you here. And they haven't, in my opinion, they haven't done enough to do that. You know, where you look at it and just say like, yeah, like we, we can compete. Cause right now this team cannot compete with the, with the top teams. They just can't, they can't do it. And they have Brown and they have Tatum. And, and when Kemba's playing good, he's, he's been very good, but he's up and down and he's little 
So, like, you know, it's going to be hard for him to realistically compete against a team like Brooklyn. I just don't know how they can do that. And so, you know, I don't know what that means. I don't know if he, and Aaron Gordon might be the solution to that, maybe. But, like, I'm thinking big, I, I know Vucevic is, like, is crazy to even think that something like that could happen. But I just feel like Danny, you know, talks about it every year. We're in on everything. And he is. I believe that he is on everything. But I also know that he is looking for, you know, for great value and doesn't want to give something up. So, yes, I don't want to give up Marcus Smart. But if that if that puts us over the top and really makes us a, a, a team that can compete for a championship, because Marcus Smart's a great player and I love Marcus Smart on this team. But if we can get a guy, another guy that can put us over the top, Marcus Smart is a piece that I'm willing to part with because – that he's not a guy that's going to bring you to a championship. He's a guy that's going to make your team better, but he's not going to be an X factor in like in a seven game series against a, against a team like Brooklyn or against a team like LA. He's just not, you know, and, and although we can provide defensive flexibility and everything and, and cover, you know, three, at least three, if not four different spots on the, on the floor, he just doesn't bring enough offensively. I don't think, to really compete against a team like that. So I'm curious to see if, you know, if you think that they could make a deal like that this year or, or if Danny would even be interested in making a deal like that this year. So I think if they're going to move Marcus Smart, they're going to feel like it's a home run deal. Like they're not going to move him for just anybody, especially somebody that's going to come in as a definitive fourth option. But if they get a guy that they feel like perhaps this is a steal or this is a home run. Like, um, from in my opinion, like the best name to kind of be willing to move on from Marcus Smart would be John Collins, right? If you knew that John, you, the front office were going to be willing to pay John Collins what he wants, and Atlanta turned around and said, "Hey, we want Marcus Smart," and in return, um, I know that Keith Smith put this out recently. I think it was Keith. Somebody put it out there. Um, you know, it'll be Marcus Smart and Jeff Teague for John Collins and Rajon Rondo. So, if that was the deal. Then and you know that you're re-signing Collins because he will be a restricted free agent, so you can match whatever he gets offered in free agency. You just need to know that your front office are going to go deep into their pockets to do so. Um, the ownership team, sorry, not the front office. Um, then you do it right. I mean, you, at the end of the day, you gave Marcus Smart a very tradable salary because you knew that somewhere down the line, you might need him for salary matching purposes or you might need him to be an enticing piece that you can dangle during trade discussions. And the fact that he's continued to develop that three-point shot has made him nothing more than incredibly valuable now. Teams are going to be really interested in what he brings. And I completely agree. I feel like at this point now, if you need to swing for defenses, unfortunately, and I think people are going to have to kind of get used to this idea as much as they're going to dislike it, there's a big chance that Marcus Smart will be one of the centerpieces of any trade to bring in a fourth or third star depending on where you want to put them. So you could bring a guy in and move Kemba down to your fourth option. Kemba doesn't have to be the third guy. He can always play down at four. Um, you, you're going to be able to stagger guys again. So you'll have two out, two on the bench, two out, two on the bench, the way they did when Hayward was healthy too. And that seems to be the way the Celtics have wanted to be constructed. So just consistently two high-level scorers on the floor at all times. Uh, to me, John Collins is that guy, but I do genuinely believe it would take um, a few different things like Marcus Smart, like the ownership team agreeing to go into the tax to keep him. And then you'd need to make sure that John Collins is going to be happy in the situation that he's coming into as well. Right. No, it's a great point. And that's, I mean, everyone's talking about like, you know, smart is valuable, which he is. I think that 
I think that Marcus Smart, you can't, you, you can't overstate how important Smart is to the team. But again, like I said, it's just, it comes down to in a playoff series, you need to have a in step in and score, you know, at a, at a consistently high level. And they just don't have that right now. And I know Kemba is that guy, but like, I just don't know if Kemba can do it consistently in a seven game series. It can seem like Brooklyn, he's just not, he's not big enough. He's just too small, you know? And so it's like, yeah, okay, Kyrie's covering him. If Kyrie really plays lockdown defense, like, which, I mean, Kyrie's not a great defender, but, like, if he really plays defense against Kemba, like, he's got, what, like, five, six inches on him? Like, it's difficult for Kemba to do anything. You know what I mean? So that's, that's that's for me, that's one of those things where it's like you have to get another guy that can be another option. And as as painful as it would be to move on from Smart because everyone loves him, and rightfully so, um, I think that, you know, you kind of have to do it if, if that's what it's going to take. But anyways, man, thanks, Adam, for, for chatting and answering my question. I appreciate it, man. Of course, man. And anybody listening to this on the podcast later in the week or anyone who's in the um, in the audience, Pat, if I'm not mistaken, you run the um, SB Nation um, Patriots podcast, right? He's already gone. Um, I'm pretty sure he does run the SB Nation Patriots podcast. So make sure you go check out Pat. Hey, Lucas. How's it going? Hey. I'm doing well, thank you. Yeah. Good, pretty good. Can't complain. Ready for ready to watch Celtics basketball, that's for sure. Um, but uh, you know, as far as like the trades go, I think I would really look forward to the Celtics front office trading draft capital, like future draft capital, and some younger people, as opposed to like a player like Marcus, who makes like such an impact right now because. You know, as we've seen the past few drafts, like the rookies and stuff we've drafted really haven't made an impact. So I think if we can maximize our return, just giving up picks and maybe some young guys who aren't contributing. Personally, I think that's the uh, that's the route I would love Danny to go. I mean, that's the ideal world, right? Where you're giving up just guys that are on the fringe of the rotation that still have a bit of upside that um, is enticing to teams. And then future picks. The only downside is the Celtics are projected to be a good team for the very foreseeable future, which makes them picks a lot less um, valuable because you know they're not even going to land in the lottery. They're going to be late first-round picks. It's like Milwaukee trying to use draft capital to bring in a fourth guy. It's um, it's great on paper, but once you get into those discussions and teams are like, well, realistically, we're going to get a borderline second-round player with this pick, you start to lose value there Um so that's why I do think that it would end up being doesn't have to be Marcus Smart. He's just one of the most tradable contracts. Tristan Thompson's another guy that's a tradable contract. But I've got a feeling it would take one of those type of contracts um, for a team that finds that player highly valuable along with that draft capital to make any deal work. And then you're probably still going to have to throw in a young piece too. Yeah, totally. Um, see how like the Patriot, I mean, the Celtics first round picks aren't that valuable. But what about, I mean, obviously we've seen Time Lord like rise to the occasion, start playing really well. Um, do you think he's going to be a valuable trade chip? I know people might hate this idea. Um, and honestly, I don't love it. But if he keeps playing as well as he has in like the short minutes, I think um, maybe he could be a valuable trade chip come the deadline. But like you said, you know, Smart and Thompson are the tradable uh, contracts. But do you think teams could maybe, uh, you know, the value for Rob Williams kind of going up? Yeah, I mean, coming into the season, I think his value was quite low. Um, multiple injuries, multiple lung stints in the treatment room. I think he's rebuilding that value quite quickly. Um, definitely, in my opinion, he's in the top four most tradable guys on the, on the roster, probably top three. 
Uh, Marcus Smart obviously being your most tradable name. Um, then I'd probably have it as um, Robert Williams. Then I'd probably have it as Tristan Thompson just because of the uh, the locker room presence and the championship experience that he has. Plus, that's also quite a manageable contract. So, yeah, I think um, Robert Williams is a very tradable name. Uh, in fact, I'd say Romeo Langford and Aaron Neesmith are probably ahead of Tristan Thompson due to upside. Um, but I definitely think that Robert Williams is a very, very tradable asset. And it's going to be very interesting to see how much the Celtics value him if his name starts being um, thrown around in trade discussions with other teams. Yeah, so keeping that in mind, I remember during the, his draft, I remember that the Wizards were really interested in him. And I know Bradley Beal has said uh, like he doesn't want to trade or anything, and they don't want to trade him, understandably so. But... uh that is a situation where I think I'll be able to like be able to stomach trading Marcus Smart as far as what's coming back because someone mentioned earlier, you know, in the playoffs you need offense, and I think Bradley Beal is the level of offense that could get the Celtics over the top as opposed to a guy like John Collins. So like a first round pick, Robert Will and Marcus Smart. Um, I don't know if if Washington's even answering the phone or like considering that, but I feel like as far as like value is concerned, that. That is where I'd be able to like uh, stomach losing some great guys for a player like B. Yeah, that's not gonna get it done. I think if if you if you're going after the whale like Brad Beal, then um, it's going to include probably Jalen Brown too. They're not the the amount of offers that they're going to get and high level players and packages they're going to be offered. Uh, a Marcus Smart as a, a centerpiece of a trade deal for Bradley Beal just wouldn't unfortunately just wouldn't be enough. Um, they wouldn't want to take on Kemba Walker. They've already got Russell Westbrook's contract there. Um, I, I'd love to see how they could figure out how to run Westbrook and Walker, but it just wouldn't happen. Um, you're more likely Jalen Brown, Aaron Neesmith, Marcus Smart, and three firsts. That's the sort of level of package that you'd be looking at for Bradley Beal. And I genuinely don't think he's going to get moved anywhere. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe I'm definitely undervaluing. It'd have to be maybe three first round picks. But you start talking about putting Jalen in there. And then it just doesn't seem like it. It's uh, because other teams will come in with packages like Ben Simmons centered package, or totally. you'll have, you know, or you'll have like um, a package centered around um, Brandon Ingram, and maybe they're maybe they're getting Brandon Ingram, Nikhil Alexander Walker, and a couple of the first that um, New Orleans have in their treasure chest. Maybe it's an mm. uh, Shy Gilgis Alexander and five, six future picks. You know, there's so many teams out there Sheesh. with that can put a better package together that if you're taking both Jays off the table, um, I think there's other teams that can blow any off a Boston makes out of the water. Yeah. And like you said, I don't even think he's going to get moved either. But um, so last thing I'll say is, so like with what you just said, if the Celtics don't have, I mean, we know they don't have a ton of assets that are super valuable. Um, do you think they should just like try and figure out what they can do as far as like fringe moves for now and like try and organically grow the team. Because like I said, I don't know, like obviously John Collins is a good player, but I just don't think he's someone that gets you over the hump. And then what if someone offers him a big deal and restrictive free agency and now you're paying John Collins, I don't know what his market value is. I assume, you know, 18 to 22, maybe million, maybe I'm overshooting a bit. But I just think that really doesn't move the needle as much as, you know, maybe it could. Um, so I'm just curious. Do you think they should stand pat at the deadline or grow organically? Because I, I really don't know. 
I mean, John Collins turned down 90 million last year. So he, he's expecting to be on a hundred million plus. Right. So, um, when you, when I say that you need ownership's agreement to go deep, they've got, to, they've got to be willing to go deep if that, if John Collins is the name. Uh, now usually when we're talking about fringe, um, trades, usually I'm very big on never make a trade for the sake of making a trade because that's when teams can really take advantage of you. And we know that's not what Danny Ainge does. However, you go to all this effort to acquire the TPE so you can save face and be like, look, we didn't lose Gordon Hayward for, zil- for zilch. We've got this 28.5, 28, $29 million coupon that we can split up on multiple players now. We now have something tangible back for losing Gordon Hayward. You cannot then not use that coupon. It has to be used between now and when it expires. And whether that means you split it up into two or three guys, or you take a swing for a guy like um, whoever it may be, Vooch or Harrison Barnes or Larry Nance Jr., for whoever it may be, you take that swing. If that's not, if you want to hold that until the summer, then you need to be prepared to pay a premium because now teams know that you need to use this before it expires. So you're now not bargaining from a position of strength. You're bargaining from a position of weakness. So if you, in my opinion, you make some form of trade, whether it be big or whether it be a fringe move using part of that TPE or one of the other two smaller TPEs you've got coming up to the deadline, one to shore up this team, two to show the players that you're willing to make moves to put a contending team around them, and three to kind of keep a little bit of that strength when you go to the negotiation table in the summer. And so it seems like Aaron Gordon might be the most realistic possibility. Um, just lastly, before I sign off here, what do you think is a uh, what do you think is like a reasonable trade package for AG? I think Aaron Gordon's one of the guys you can get if um, you know, for me it'd be most likely Aaron Neesmith or Romeo Langford, possibly both. Um, Grant Williams, I think, would be in that deal. Uh, I think you could probably try and swing one of the younger guys that aren't playing as well. And then it would be a couple of first round picks or a first round pick and a future second or two top 10, top 15 protected picks. I don't think it would be a huge swing, but I do think that the the Magic would want some young talent with high upside that they can continue to build around and place around Fox and Jonathan Isaac once they're both healthy. Yeah, and uh, so I think Aaron Gordon is who, who I would prefer over John Collins because I don't know, is there really a uh, a massive difference between those two talent-wise? Like, I would just say Collins is better, but I think for the value of what you'd have to give up, I think Aaron Gordon's probably the uh, ideal choice. But thanks again, Adam. Uh, love what you're doing here, man. Of course, man. Thank you very much for joining, and uh, feel free to stick around, and we'll speak soon. Can you hear me now? Well, I've got you now. How you okay, doing, buddy? Good. Um, I, well, I was saying, um, I'm number one Kemba Walker fan, president of the Kemba Walker fan club. Um, I've been really happy with how he's looked like the last ten games. I think he's shooting like forty three percent from the field, forty one percent from three, something like that. So those are back to where you would expect Kim Walker to be. Um, I don't watch the film and break down each game the way you do. So I was just curious. Um, over the, his first 10 games compared to his last 10 games, does he look any different physically? Because um, to me, he doesn't. He looks like the same guy he... He, he, he seems like he's getting to the basket a bit better over the last stretch. Um, 
but I wanted to know what what you've seen um, compared to the early part of the season compared to the, his most recent stretch of games and what's been the difference. Honestly, physically, I think he looks the same. We were all talking from when he returned that the burst was back. He was very shifty on his feet. He had a really good ability to change directions on a dime. Um, so physically, I think that he may have just built up a little bit more durability. Um, obviously, not playing for a while, you're going to be more sore after games than once you're back in the swing of things. I think this is all confidence, man. Um, the shot wasn't falling early on. That's going to be frustrating, especially as a scorer. Um, when your whole mantra is to shoot through slumps, it's going to be really tough, um, especially to watch as well, right? Like it was really frustrating watching Kemba go two for 18 or whatever crazy lines he went for. Right. But I think well, now one, that the shot... Go ahead, sorry. Right. I was going to say, just one thing I've actually noticed that isn't hasn't been Kemba-like has been his mid-range shooting. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, during the playoffs in the bubble last year, his bread and butter was that high screen roll, uh, going down into the key and taking that, that jump shot with the center that drops and drops down. He hasn't really been hitting that at a typical rate that he does this season. Um, so hopefully that would be something that he can even improve even more. And that can be a, another threat for the offense. Yeah, I mean, that shot's quite tough for him anyway because he usually puts that sidestep in first to get to his uh, his spots around the elbows. Um, obviously, you need to be in real good rhythm to get the fluidity of your shooting mechanics into position before exploding up. So that's a tough shot. I think that's going to be more reps than confidence because of the technical difficulty. It's much more difficult than just coming off a screen and pulling up. It, you've now got to add in the change of pace, the change of direction, and land and like landing off that sidestep into a shooting motion ready to explode. So I think that's going to come with more time and more reps. I'm also not that concerned about it. I think that a lot of the teams lately, they are playing a drop, but they're not dropping as deep as what they sometimes do during the playoffs. And you need a little bit of space to get that shot off when you're Kemba's height. If you're Tatum, then that's okay. You know, you're a big guy, broad shoulders, you can fight through contact a little bit more and you can create your own space a little bit better. Kemba needs to rely on his speed and um, ability to change directions, ability to change speeds, go from fifth gear to first gear and so forth. So I think when bigs start dropping a little bit more, that whole mid-range area is going to become a lot more money for him. And the best way to get the bigs to drop deeper is to continually get a body of work behind you in the season of finishing around the rim and force them to have to drop to protect it from the drive, then that mid-range should um, organically start to open up a little bit more for him. Yeah, man, uh, for sure. And I, I hope, I really, it seems like this program they have him on is working uh, so far. I mean, it's, it's still relatively early. So we'll see. And they've said that he still feels great. But, you know, the Celtics in telling the truth on injuries and all that isn't isn't that their history that isn't that great but uh he looks great so hopefully we'll we'll keep getting great production running but thanks for bringing me up again of course man of course thank you very much okay does anyone else want to jump up send a request margo i know you was up and then i was having technical issues did you want to try again oh hey adam sorry about that (laughs) how you doing i'm good how are you 
Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. So, as someone who believes that the Celtics, as they're currently constructed, are contenders this season to like go to the finals, do you think that that would be naive, or that the team needs to add a piece in order to get there? At the risk of upsetting everybody that's going to listen to this on the podcast, and at the risk of upsetting people in the crowd, personally, I think that's a little bit naive. Um, I just think they're a piece, maybe two pieces away. Um, they're definitely not there yet, in my opinion. I think that everybody underestimated the impact of losing Gordon Hayward. And then the guys that have been brought in just haven't hit the level that we hope they would to kind of bridge that loss, right? So Tristan Thompson isn't the Tristan Thompson we hoped we'd get. I don't know what we were thinking um, with Jeff Teague. That was just insane. And then the Celtics haven't been healthy. So I may be incorrect here. Once we see them as a full unit get a consistent amount of games under their belt where they're all playing together and playing at a high level, maybe they are um, conference finalists. Maybe they do have that level in them. But I just think the East has got so much stronger this year that without one more deal, one more big swing or a couple of smaller acquisitions that this is going to be a team that struggles to get out of the second round as currently constructed. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair point. Like, I kind of agree. Most of my, I guess, naivety, is that the word? Would be from, you know, just being really hopeful about Kemba getting more consistent as he, like, is playing more consistently. And then also Marcus Smart coming back and being the Marcus Smart that's defense has, you know, carried us. Yeah, and that's completely fair. I mean, Kemba Walker, a lot of the how this season goes rests on how healthy and how productive Kemba Walker can be. The more productive he is, the less weight that's on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's shoulders. So I completely agree there. You know, like if you if you can spread the load, then everybody's going to stay relative, um, relatively fresher than what they would if you can't. Um, if you've got Marcus Smart to be the primary point of attack defender with Jalen Brown rotating over as your secondary point of attack defender. And then you've got Christian Thompson keyed in. There's a good defensive core on this team that you should be able to build out around and build out towards the ball from. But there's so many moving parts here that I do think that adding an extra name, an extra guy um, that can do multiple things well, is going to really ease this burden on everybody. Because at the moment, there's a huge burden on Marcus Smart to be this defensive, all-NBA-level player. There's a huge burden on Kemba Walker to find a a very specific baseline of production to be able to ease this weight off of the younger Jay's shoulders. If you can bring in somebody else to help lift a bit more of that weight, you're taking that pressure off the group as a collective. And then I think that you start seeing them play a little bit more freely and hopefully developing trust to move the ball to some of the guys on lower usage rates. Yeah, I agree. Um, I feel like Tatum and Brown have been playing like a lot of minutes every game and you can kind of see like their stats not being as high as they have been when they have the help around them. But um, I guess my last question would be, do you think um, that, I guess just in general, do you personally think that Danny Ainge will make a move before the deadline this year? And if so, who would be your like top top uh, person that you'd want to add that's available? I mean, before the season ends. 
Yeah, I'm going to be boring here. I'm going to say, yeah, I do think he makes a move. I genuinely don't believe it's going to be a big swing. I think he'll make a move, but it won't be uh, shattering or um, trajectory changing. I think it'll be something a bit smaller to shore up the rotations. If he does make a swing, uh, I've been on the Harrison Barnes hype train for as long as I can remember at this point. So I do think Harrison Barnes is probably the best bet if you want to get Somebody that fits the timeline, fits the schematics, and fits exactly what you're looking for, where a multifaceted wing that can create their own offense, score within the flow of the offense, and play decent level defense, as well as coming in with a championship mindset and knowing how to win at the highest level. Um, I think he just fits every, ticks every box that you need, and he's attainable. Um, whether or not he's available is a different story. Yeah, totally. I mean, honestly, you've gotten me totally on the Harrison Barnes hype train. But um, thank you for having me up. I really appreciate it. Of course, of course. Whenever. Jump up whenever you want. Thank you very much. How's it going, Rob? Hey, Adam. How are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well yourself. Yeah, so as a non-Celtics fan, it's interesting to see the situation unfold. And one other question I want to ask is, like, the Celtics fans seem so keen on, you know, a star-level player getting added to this young core of Jalen and Jason. But, like... Do you think if they were to make like a three-team deal, getting guys like an Eric Gordon and a Larry Nance, that that would be enough for them to be true title contenders in the East? I think you can go after Larry Nance straight up, um, to be honest. I think that adding Larry Nance because of the size, he's having one of the best years of his career, if not a career year. Um, He brings size, he brings a little bit of offensive versatility. He's got a bit of defense towards him. He's got length so that he can help clock passing lanes. He can play as a weak side guy. He can rotate. Um, I think Larry Nance is actually a good low-cost option or lower-cost option to go after to shore up that wing position. And then if you've still got enough room in TPs left over or you, you want to make a, a secondary trade later to add another piece, then I think that works perfectly well. And I think Larry Nance is one of the names that's not being discussed enough. And another thing I wanted to ask is, like, if you were to grade Danny Ainge like last year or two as GM of the Celtics, what, would, what grade would you give him? I see. I'm I'm a little bit more like a, I try to look at things fairly. So I think that the biggest mistake Danny Ainge has made is thinking everything's hunky dory when it's not. So I don't blame him for guys leaving. I blame him for not trying to move them if he knows that their heart is elsewhere. Um, I do think he's done a good job of pivoting when guys have left. Um, look at Kyrie, he pivoted to Kemba. Hayward, he didn't manage to pivot to a, to a player, but then he acquired this like record-breaking TPE. Um, I'd give him a B- minus overall. I think there's moves he should have made that he didn't, possibly a few trades that he should have done that he didn't, and then I think he's been too willing to let things play out. But I also don't think he's been very bad at all. So a B- minus seems quite fair. All right. Thank you, Adam. Of course, man. Thank you very much, Rob. Who's next? What's going on, Shravan? I haven't read the news, but I think Jackie McMullen and some other reporters are saying, like, Danny and Brad are on the hot seat. Like, what do you make of these rumors and why are they coming out right now? I, I don't think these rumors make sense. Yeah, I mean, the the owner of the Celtics went on Boston Radio recently and said that both of them are completely secure in their jobs. Um. I think that if Danny Ainge fails to use this TPE um, by the time it expires, then I think he's definitely going to be under a lot more scrutiny than what he is now. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you, you 
put the work in to get something like this um, exception, then you need to use it, especially when the team's struggling to put an encore um, pro- product on the floor. Um, I think that Brad Stevens, you can only coach what you've got, right? There's still questions around him, um, mainly his um, rotations. Sometimes I think that his adjustments are a little bit late. Sometimes I think he gives guys too much rope instead of calling a timeout. But overall, I'm a huge Brad Stevens guy. I don't think there's many better options for the Celtics than him currently available. So why would he be under any pressure at the moment, especially so soon after signing an extension? I think that's a lot of conjecture, to be quite honest. I mean, they might have sources that obviously I'm not privy to. In fact, I'm positive they'd have sources I'm not privy to. But I do think that at the moment, both of those are very secure in their jobs and that allows them to operate from positions of strength. And maybe, in my opinion, reports like that sometimes get leaked by opposing GMs to start putting pressure on you to make a trade that sometimes you wouldn't have made. So that's also a tactic? (laughs) What was that? Sorry. Is that also a tactic? Like opposing GMs just put it out so that like media puts pressure on other GMs? Yeah, I mean, it happens with players all the time. Um, you know, players, agents or opposing teams will leak these things or let things find their way to the media that, you know, a player wants out or a player is interested in playing here because it starts to create the narrative and it starts to create the pressure. That's definitely a tactic. Things only make the media when somebody wants them to make the media. Teams are very good at keeping things in-house. So anything that you hear or read has been very carefully selected to be released to public consumption. Uh, okay. Unless your GM is incompetent. Unless your GM's incompetent. Like or, he wants to look, or he wants to look incompetent. Oh, okay. So why does a GM want to look incompetent? Because then <laughs> I have no idea. Sometimes it's better to play the lame dog, right? Play possum. Okay. Let guys think they're fleecing you when really you're getting the player you wanted all along. I don't know. I'm just saying that from my perspective, my personal opinion is we only get fed the information and the narratives that teams and agents and players want us to uh, get fed. Yeah, yeah. Like anytime I see a news, I think about like, okay, who is getting what out of this? So before I used to be naive and thought, okay, okay, this is news or these are actual rumors. But then I, Started to look into it and and like, yeah, this is crazy. Like everyone has an angle here. Yeah, there's always. I mean, it's a billion, multi-billion-dollar business. There's always going to be somebody that has something to gain from leaking this information or from passing information onto somebody that they know is very got a very poor track record in keeping a secret. You know, mm-hmm. so um, there's definitely there's always somebody looking to create um an edge from releasing stuff to the media like that. And it works for the most part. It it does it it has the desired effect, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and what are your expectations for the second half of the season? Where do you think Celtics will finish in the seeding? Honestly I think where they are right now is about where they deserve to be, fourth. Um I think there's a pass there's a world where they could finish third. I think there's a world where they could finish sixth. Uh my ideal is they stay consistent now and they'll finish around about fourth in the standings because that's where I consider them to be. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. Of course, man. Who's up next? I've got probably enough time for one more person. How you doing, Akil? What's up, man? How are you, man? <clears throat> I'm doing well, thanks, man. I'm doing well. You? I can't complain. Can't complain, man, at all. I like the uh, little estimation thing you got in the corner. 
I did, that, do you know what? I didn't even know when that. I, I didn't add that. That turned up today. That's new. Yeah, I think. I think. Um, I think the guys just got them in for people who have credentials. Like, I think that just got added in. Uh, but anyways, my question, man. Um, do you do any mock tracks, mock draft stuff? Um, honestly, no. Simply because I don't really get as much college games in as what I'd like oh, to. Oh, damn! Um, yeah, that's true. I forgot you're all the way overseas, man. Yeah, um, uh, closer to the draft, I tend to do mock drafts, but I like to bring people in that know far more than what I do, that are way smarter with draft scouting than okay. what I am. Because, um, yeah, I'm I'm not a big Celtics guy, but I am a Michigan State alum, as people know. Uh, one guy I thought that Celtics who should have drafted and they just missed on was Xavier Tillman. Um, like, I just thought he was perfect for you guys as a center because he's super good defensively and he switches quite a bit. Um, and he just kind of made sense as a fit, especially because Brad Stevens is a college coach and he, and he kind of knows how to coach those dudes. Oh man. Let me switch my question up now. What do you, what do you guys think? What do you guys think you're like, what's your, like, what's your playoff ceiling? And then, and then what do you look forward to this summer in free agency to maybe put you guys over the hump? So ceiling at the moment is anywhere between the second round exit. Um, depending on where you finish in seeding, it could be as early as the first round. We have to be realistic here. Um, ceiling is obviously a conference, uh, a finals. I think the more realistic ceiling is a conference finals. Uh, this team has proven very adept at adjusting during seven games and six game series. And Brad Stevens has proved himself to be a very good coach in that aspect. So I'd see them, uh, ceiling of a conference finalist again. And then in the summer, it all depends on what moves get made now. So um, if they don't really make any moves towards the trade deadline, then I'd see them looking to create a sign-in trade with the TPE for a decently well-named player that would be available on the free agency market that a team wouldn't want to lose for free. For sure, for sure. How much of the playoffs just depends on on this version of Kemba Walker and and not the the last the last version before before he got there because I think he's turned it up a little bit right so how much of it depends on him staying like this guy and not the guy earlier oh man loads I mean um I think that Kemba Walker is going to be one of the biggest X factors on this roster in the playoffs um we saw what happened last year where teams were very very cautious of the uh, effects that he can have when he gets hot which is why they were doing very specific defensive schemes. Namely, Toronto did it. Um, we saw Miami go to that inverted zone to try and negate any threat of a Campbell Walker penetration. Um, so teams were making very big adjustments to their defensive schemes. Less so Miami because they ran that inverted zone throughout the year. But they were making sure to limit Campbell Walker's exposure to the ball and exposure in offensive situations as much as possible. So having Kemba as a fully healthy version of himself where he can play off ball find himself open, create some looks for himself, and then on ball, have enough explosion in his legs to create space, finish off the drive, come up off screens and um, drain jumpers in guys' face. I think that's going to be imperative. If he's not at 95%, 90% of his best version of himself, then the Celtics won't get as far as what people are hoping. Uh, for sure, man. All right, Adam, I uh, appreciate you as always. Been reading your pieces. Love them. Um, yeah, thanks, <laughs> I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you. Thank you very much.